you're working on a lot of cases, then you need to have a good way to, to you know, store and then repeatedly access information for those cases and making sure that the right people are getting notified at the times they need it. So you can you can lower that overhead just by saying, what, what's our process for that? You could run it manually first, but eventually you're gonna to wanna to automate something like that. You're listening to the Legal Mastermind Podcast with your hosts, Ryan Klein and Chase Williams, the go-to podcast for learning from the experts in the legal community about effective ways to grow and manage your law firm. Welcome to another episode of the Legal Mastermind Podcast. On today's episode, we have Trevor Ewan. He is a CEO at Southport Technology Group. Welcome to the podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me. And we're going to talk about a couple of really cool topics today, things that me and Ryan, we love to talk about. We usually don't have the pleasure of speaking about it because we love software, we love automation, and the fact that most problems that occur at a law firm, lawyers, marketers end up throwing people at the problem versus some solutions that might make a little more sense, such as technology, building your own technology, or even utilizing existing technology. And that's kind of where Trevor, you come in and you can, you can assist law firms with, correct? Yeah. I think uh, generally it goes beyond that too. Law firms are obviously, you know, small to medium-sized businesses, maybe even large in some cases, and they have the same kind of operational problems, administrative problems that pretty much any business in that vein does. I would say they probably deal with even more paperwork than (laughs) an average kind of medium-sized business as well. So, so they're probably seeing more document flow too, which is another you know, huge pain point when you're managing all that. And so for those listeners that aren't familiar with you or your company, can you give us a little background about how you got into doing what you do? Yeah, sure. So Southport Technology Group is a custom software development firm. We are targeted at a, a part of the market that I've, I've just felt for years has been underserved. And the reason I knew it was underserved is for years, people were coming to me and saying, hey, I can't find anybody to do this. And that was even while I had a day job and I was doing other things, but then continually realizing these are where the requests are coming from. And typical customer for us is a decent sized business. It could be up to $50 million in revenue, but we usually describe it as a tech enabled business. So they have a fair amount of technology in their business, but it's not the primary offering, right? So say a company that's a startup building an app, which really is their primary offering. They're in a different vein. They're probably going to have developers on staff. You know, the vast majority of their actual budget is dedicated towards that. But if you're, say, a law firm is one good example, or take some of our other customers, like small insurers, uh, private equity group. We have environmental services companies, solar companies, all of them, they have technology needs, a fair budget for it, but they don't really want to run a tech team in-house. Uh, similarly, they can't just go up market, and, you know, call up someone like Accenture. It's just too small of an engagement. So they're in this gray zone where they don't have anyone to help them out. That's where we come in. I love that you're doing a, a break into legal because we're talking about how law firms, they've come a long ways really in the past five, 10 years. I, I worked in-house about a decade ago. And for one example, IT, just administrative for IT, it's just this guy that would come in every once in a while. It's the same guy, he checks on the email. He goes to the server room. Server rooms still exist probably quite a bit. And um, don't really innovate or really don't look at any operations or how they can make things better. They're just kind of string together whatever has been existing for, for decades. It's good to see that law firms are more like technology minded. They're looking to grow and they know that there are solutions, places they didn't know before. So from your experience so far, what are like some of the projects or some of the people you're ha- having conversations with? What, what kind of technologies are, are you talking about? I guess we separate this out into maybe three different categories, right? So there are government systems 
And the one that we've done a pretty big integration with recently is PACER, which anyone who's working with the federal court system is familiar with that. So government systems, they have this characteristic of being very open typically, which is a good thing about government systems, but also a bit legacy. They tend not to have the most up-to-date standards. And so dealing with them can be a little bit like dealing with a technological process 10 to 15 years ago. There's a lot of emails going around. There's a lot of manual processes, a lot of just log in, do this, download this, go through this, frankly, strange wizard or workflow, not a lot of mobile friendliness. So government's one. The other side would be a lot of document management. I think law firms are probably unique in having more of these concerns than almost any other business I can think about. And there's, of course, security and confidentiality aspects about that, but there's just general organization, right? If you're working on a lot of cases, then you need to have a good way to you know, store and then repeatedly access information for those cases and make it so that the right people are getting notified at the times they need it. So you can you can lower that overhead just by saying, what, what's our process for that? You could run it manually first, but eventually you're going to want to automate something like that. Last thing is the information side, you know, legal information intensive world. So to the extent you can enrich anything you're doing with data sources or some other process that makes the handover easier for you. And this could actually happen on your admin side. So, you know, don't think so much about the legal side of it, but, you know, all day long, your CFO might be working with vendors and other relationships. They might want to implement e-signs, kind of contract handling. They may even be signing other government documents like grants or other work that you may be involved in. You know, some, some law firms may even have some kind of non-for-profit or uh, service side of their business, which is a pretty typical thing, you know, to offer free legal services. So even that, you know, what is the fulfillment side of that and, and how much is that taking time? You know, my experience is shown and it's it's still limited right now because we're still getting into this field but people tend to throw people at the problem right so they they hire more admin staff and then just have them kind of run these manual processes all day long and uh, by no means would i suggest firing those people they're probably pretty bright and you want to get them working on something else but there's no reason to have them do manual processes and just pounce on emails all day long can you give us some examples of those processes that you're building out to, re to replace some of those um, workers so the most recent one we did for Sanford Law Firm, which is uh, also a case study you can check out on our site. So they had a great, great to work with, by the way, too. And, and it's, it's worth thinking about if you have a law firm and you're thinking about some kind of project like this, identify the person in the firm who can really articulate what the process is or what it should be. In this case, it was the CFO, uh, who we work directly with. But a lot of times we see this person have a title of IT director or COO or something along those lines. And... What was happening is Pacer sends out documents for uh, ECF notifications is what they're called. And they send it to all the attorneys who are on the case. Oddly enough, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with the Pacer system, for, but for people who aren't, the first look at a document in Pacer is a free download. So pretty much, you know, us three get the email. The first of us to click that link gets it free and the other two are going to pay to get that document, right? And if you're the firm working on the case, what you don't want to do all day long is figure out what you're spending on documents that are critical for your cases. You just want to get those into your system and dealt with. The cost is one thing, but it's also just the pouncing on them. Okay, who downloaded? Who got the free one? Uh, is our office admin supposed to be the first one to do it? She's out to lunch. All these questions. Instead, what we put into place was the system downloads all the documents, right? So it just receives the emails from Pacer. It immediately downloads it. So we get the free one in, say, 90 and a half percent of the cases, right? Uh, there's a rare case with restricted documents, which go directly to the attorney. Then our system will go inside their CRM. It'll figure out what the case was, uh, what kind of venue it was at. 
and then it will figure out who the uh, account team members are. So the attorneys and also the paralegals involved with that. It'll make sure they get a notification email with the document, not with a link that they have to download, but the actual copy of the document, which is what they really need. And so they're no longer in the admin. And then critically, it's going to take it and put it inside the firm's file system in the format that they want and notify everyone on the team if there's something wrong with the filing system, like the cases non-existent or the venues non-existent, right? So here you had a process that they had a whole part of the operations team just doing this stuff all day long and saying, who downloaded the document, who got it first? And everyone was just kind of incentivized to pounce on these so they weren't paying for them. And now everybody's just receiving emails with the documents. Everything's automatically in the file system and the CRM is updated with the latest in the documents, all happening behind the scenes. And you know, if they want to go away for a day of training or go have lunch, you know, have at it. It's all going to be there for you. This sounds like this was a significant help for the law firms. So it's interesting because it's also really specific. And I'm just wondering how the law firm gets to like the thought process, what kind of conversations they're having and who on the team gets to the point where they say, we need a a custom solution for this. So um, I guess this is kind of a two-part. The first one, probably straightforward. Who's the person contacting you to arrange for this? Then also, how can a law firm get in the mindset to think about solutions being technology-driven? I would say this is the hardest part of customer development for us. One of the things I've been working on is just making that easier. So I will just offer solutioning sessions with people who talk to us to say, hey, I think I have a problem that you guys can solve, but I don't know if I really do. And what we'll do is we'll get on the call, try and isolate what the exact workflows are that are a problem. The other thing too is if there's a white label solution or something off the shelf, we won't try and rebuild it. So sometimes a lot of people, you know, you see this a lot in traditional businesses, but they're essentially talking about as a CRM. They're saying, hey, I have no way to keep track of all the cases I've worked on or all the people I'm working with and need to get notifications. And you say, yeah, what you're looking for is a CRM. So, you know, go to G2, check it out, check out some reviews. I'm happy to give you my recommendation, but that's not really our focus. I want something that works for the pricing and workflow of your firm. So you should probably just throw someone at that for a week or two, and it'll change your your whole business just having a CRM. But there are firms and a lot of pretty much all the businesses we get to, they exhaust the limit of stuff off the shelf. And then they usually are at an impasse where there's something specialized about their process. And then that's the moment when we we recognize there's an opportunity, right? And it's not pushy because we're not saying, hey, uh, you know, there's another solution for you. There's there's literally no solution that does this exact workflow that you're looking for, right? And you can build it on the back of the other systems so that you're not reinventing the wheel. So, you know, example would be, you know, Sanford law firm uses Salesforce, right, as their CRM. So that's where we're getting all the data from for these attorneys. We're not building some kind of custom database to store attorney info. And that's a huge cost savings to them. Like I said, we would do solutioning. I think it's always going to help if they have a bit more operations-minded person in the group, maybe someone who's led an automation project before, but that, that shouldn't preclude someone from doing it. Every now and then I will just sit with a COO or a controller, someone in the back office, and just go through, okay, name all the different things you're doing. Okay, that looks like an interesting one. Let's let's explore that. Let's dig into that. And then sometimes we find it's a dead end. It's too complicated. It's too customized. But in the best cases, in the cases that actually work for our customers, we find that, okay, this is, this is something we, we can pull on. They end up using that as a launch point to expand in that market. One of our older customers is the, not legal, but the insurer we work with in California. And they were doing a lot of manual paper processes till we moved them to an all digital and e-sign oriented platform. And that was the launching point they used to expand 
you know, they're now in four times the number of states that they were in. And part of that is just because now launching in a new state is just a, a lower lift process. So I don't think anyone could have determined that at the outset. They were just trying to get rid of paper. But in the long term, it was a huge growth lever for them. You mentioned someone working in operations, and that's interesting because I'm hearing a lot more of the title COO in, in law firms. So oftentimes that's going to be the person that does have that mindset, that does kind of speak your language a little bit more, someone where the operations mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it varies, you know, sometimes that person won't have done an automation project and could be a little coy about it. And so a lot of my role, our role would be to come in and educate them a bit more and say, here are the places you can go. And that kind of sponsor, I usually call the person the champion. So because they're maybe not exactly the one paying the bill, but they're certainly the one we're talking with and collaborating with the most. If they need more of that, then we'll try and give them the education and the proof of concept to show them, okay, here's what it looks like when your system is working the way you would kind of envision it, but you don't really know how to describe it. Sometimes you got one who's really knowledgeable, very sophisticated, and that is a delight to work with. It's also probably cuts down on costs for them too, because there's less experimentation. So one thing I can say for your listeners, if you have a COO like that, do anything you can to keep them on staff because they'll they'll provide you ample great ideas and get them implemented pretty efficiently. And that would just be someone who knows the exact systems or the exact APIs or the exact ways they would like things to work. I think working with Sanford was a pleasure as, as they know, because their CFO is someone I've known for a long time, but someone I know who's very, very process oriented. And so we didn't really deviate much from the actual expectation of how the project would work. He, he had a good idea of it and had just never really orchestrated a business level software system to do it. And that was the bigger question for him was how do we deploy this? How do we manage it? How do we make sure it's stable? And how do we keep adding to it? Sure. A lot of lawyers listening are thinking, man, I've had this idea for some sort of automation or, or you know, project for years, I, or maybe have even engaged with another company. I know we've heard horror stories of lawyers dropping hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to you know, build something that already exists now, you know, but maybe didn't exist like six or seven years ago. What can an attorney expect if they're in a, like a baseline, like, is this something that can be done for like $10,000 or is it something that is going to, you know, incur a substantial investment of like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars? It varies kind of depending on what you want. I, I would say 10, 10K is probably the low end for what you can do. Although that is still gives you some flexibility, right? So that will give you some kind of basic job server that's doing something, right? Usually, usually kind of one uh, end end pipeline. A lot of times it tends to grow out like, like a bit more of an octopus and have a lot of different nodes that are speaking. And so now you're heading towards, I would say a, a sweet spot for us. And just being honest, the first engagement, we like a, a $30,000 engagement to be a good place to start. And frankly, I don't like starting that much higher than that because I don't really want to be hitched to the customer for a long time if they're very difficult to work with, right? So we would prioritize very fast releases, you know, getting something out uh, to test early and something in that range, you know, puts us in the one and a half to two months in terms of actual delivery. And that that's a pretty tight turnaround in terms of what they can actually get. And then from there, I mean, you can keep spending money, to be honest, like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to stop anybody from continually spending money with us, but I will advise them if, if they're kind of just going down a rabbit hole or saying, hey, this product's out there that actually does this for us already. And Sanford hasn't been through enough cycles with us to see this, but we regularly do a lot of infrastructure reviews and reviews with customers where we say, hey, your costs are expanding right here. We're going to compress that down for you, particularly as the technology is changing. And I think part of that is just because we empathize with these businesses maybe a little bit more where other managed service providers would just say, hey, let's, you know, let's keep the difference. What we want them to do is 
you know, come back to us instead of spending the money on just uh, bloated infrastructure. We want them to spend the money on doing more projects and building more things, which I think furthermore solidifies their belief in this and then solidifies our value with them. And, you know, it kind of grows exponentially, but not in a bad way. I would say, I would say the customers who spend the most money with us, they also get a lot out of the whole thing. They're constantly being pushed to new infrastructure that also lowers their costs as well. People listening could, could definitely get started. $30,000 is a healthy place to be and even lower than that if you have a pretty well-defined, tightly defined process. So a lot of lawyers are definitely entrepreneurs. They're going out, starting their own business as a law firm. So, you know, creating customer software for a problem, you know, that's an investment in their firm, but also, you know, if it really works out well and it evolves and it turns into something that's working well for them, they might want to kind of package it up and actually start their own company. We've heard of that happening for some successful softwares and legal. So uh, is that something that you see? Has that been your experience where some people kind of built it up to the point where they're like, you know, we have something functional that can easily um, translate to other businesses like ours. So some of our customers are, are reselling what we build. In many cases, it's just, it's an added service to supplement their, what they already do with us, right? So one, one long-time customer is in landfill management, right? And so the data solution we provide is part of the subscription they provide to the local municipalities that run the landfills. Now, I would say the data solution is so fractional in terms of the actual cost, right? That I'm not sure how much those contracts change, but it is, uh, it's a bit of a bonus to say, hey, you know, not only are you running a landfill with us, but you have this great analysis tool to, to get an idea of your greenhouse gases and do your carbon reporting based on what country you live in. So that's one we see. So reselling it down the line. The other we have seen is the insurer we work with in California. They have secondary dealers who use their system. We built an API into their system to pretty much take the process we built and externalize that. So now these guys can process an e-signed contract through the same exact system. And it's part of a marketplace that they have. So they have, here's all your different options for insurance. Here's one. But if you go with this one, then it's going to get processed through the system. And that's pretty cool to have an automation level tool where another system is communicating with it. If you're thinking about small time attorneys, place I would think is if you're the community builder type who happens to know all the other attorneys, you know, in the, in the local uh, bar association or you know, has a business network that's pretty fruitful, you could start to think, what's the unified services that we all need? And it would take a little bit extra money, but you could build something that's a bit more common and then sell it off as a subscription to other attorneys. And that's just a popular model in software that we see a lot where people will pre-sell in order to essentially finance, uh, you know, some kind of asset investment, right? So say, how much would you pay for the service? Could I actually get a contract and then if the service exists, you'll pay it, right? So they're not on the hook unless the thing actually works. And I think that's a that's a brilliant way to you know fund some kind of asset investment like this. Yeah, that's really cool actually, um, because you know law firm there's a million things going on, and you know budgets are for you know personnel and they're for marketing and you know other resources internally. So I'm sure people are listening are like, oh, I don't have any you know anyway budget carved out for custom software, but it's like yeah, sure enough, there are some routes and options you can take for financing this kind of thing. If you're well-connected in the community, right? I think you've got a wealth of opportunities. You'd have to know a bit too about what the other attorneys around you really need. And then you may not know how to commonize that, right? And then that's where we come in and just say, hey, we'll, uh, 
will help you make this more general purpose, right? Maybe it needs to be an API. Maybe it needs to work with multiple file management systems. Maybe it needs to, you know, have some user registration component to it, something along those lines, right? But whatever it is, you could then own the gateway. And uh, especially, you know, one of the things I love about, uh, about law, and I think that's why I'm attracted to us is because there are so many specializations, there's kind of a million different, you know, we did something for the federal court system for a firm that just does Fair Labor Standards Act plaintiff law, but I can only imagine how many other weird variations there are on that, you know, involving state systems, involving certain kind of document management, management for real estate transactions, you name it. I, you know, it's a million plus one. That's absolutely the case. Even something as specific as like notarization, which, you know, law firms use quite a bit when people weren't going to the office and they didn't have their in-house notaries, you know, there's only X amount of states that were allowing it and plenty of others that didn't. So Trevor, for our listeners that want to learn more about your company or kind of pick your brain about possibly building something on for themselves, what's the best way to reach out, contact you? They can check out our site, which is stg.software. You can also go to my, uh, my site, which is just a link tree, which has got everything we're up to right now. It's trevoruin.com. Uh, my email is trevor at stg.software, and you can still email solutions at stg.software, and that'll get through to uh, my partner and I as well. We're doing a new process, which I actually just started last week, but I'll, I'll unveil it here. We'll see. If, if any of your listeners want to do this, I'd be very happy to do it with them. But we want to decrease the friction on that inbound. And we're just sitting with business owners or CEOs, controllers, you know, whoever in the business is knowledgeable to deal with this and just doing a one hour session where we pull in a lot of the stuff that they think they're dealing with operationally. They're not quite sure which direction to go. And we'll make a number of recommendations, uh, probably 80% of which have nothing to do with us. And if there is this 20% to thread to pull on, then we'll We'll take a look at that as well and then just uh, write it up for them in a report. And then they can do whatever they want with that. They go to a competitor and pay them to do it. They can uh, go buy Salesforce. They can go do whatever they like. But the, the big thing is we wanted to sit with them to, to get them to understand where the opportunities are and if it's even a big enough lever for them. And there's many businesses will find, oh, what I actually need is you know, a decent accounting system and a decent CRM. You know, no need to build that stuff. Other businesses will find, you know, the stuff I want to build is probably not that value add. And then, you know, the kind of customer we're obviously looking for finds out, oh yeah, I want to build something. And it turns out, you know, annually, I can more or less pay for this thing in a year and a half, uh, just based on my current spend. Thanks for listening to the Legal Mastermind podcast. If you're interested in working with Ryan and Chase, please email mastermind at marketmymarket.com. Make sure to join the free mastermind group for growing and managing your firm at lawfirmmastermind.com. Ryan Klein and Chase Williams are the managing partners at Market My Market, one of the top legal marketing companies in the United States.